It is 11.56 a.m. on Tuesday, August 27th, 2019. I'm Kevin Williams. This is the LDS Live Podcast. I am solo today. You know what? I realize that I have not been the best at giving you contact information. Let me give you the contact information where you can find us. LDSLivePodcast.com. We're also on iTunes and many other podcast applications. We're also on Facebook at LDS Live Podcast and at Twitter at LDS Live Podcast. So let's get started. I'm solo today. By the way, I want to let you know that it looks as though Stan Ellsworth, formerly from BYU TV, will be on the podcast soon. In fact, I got to go meet him today as soon as I'm done with this podcast. So let's get started. A lot to discuss. Let's talk about seminary. A lot of changes are coming to seminary as of January 2020. The Come Follow Me manual will now be used in seminary as of 2020. In fact, there's a big article on the church's website, churchofjesuschrist.org. Bonnie Corden, the young women's president, said that no longer will... Church no longer will seminary become scripture mastery. It'll become doctrinal mastery. In other words, one of the things that's going to happen is seminary students might get a block of scriptures, and they might go home and have to answer questions about the scriptures that they've been given. Then the next day, they'll go to seminary and discuss it. This is also one of the reasons why they're doing the Come Follow Me manual in seminary is because according to Bonnie Corden, the young women, the general young women's president, students have had a very hard time juggling scripture study with seminary, personal study, family, and Sunday school, not to mention athletics and other activities and and school learning. So why not incorporate the Come Follow Me manual? She also went on to say that this would be a very good opportunity. I'm paraphrasing here, but this would be a very good opportunity for seminary students to discuss what they have learned at school and incorporate it into their home lessons. Parents can also ask questions like, what spiritual experiences did you have today that you don't mind sharing? What scripture story stuck out to you? What scripture stuck out to you? What can we better do as a family? Also, there will be some role-playing going on in seminary. For example, let's say that somebody, let's say that uh, the seminary students are request are assigned to look up script to look up a scripture about the Godhead. Once they looked up that particular scripture, they'll be looking up other scriptures similar to that one. Then they will role-play what they've learned so that they can know how to explain it to friends of theirs who might be non-members or investigators when they go on missions, if they go on missions later. I think this is a great idea. I remember being a seminary student in high school. And I'll confess I didn't like seminary that much in high school. I didn't like it that much at all, except for my senior year. My junior year, I absolutely hate it. The only reason I went is because I had to. I absolutely hated it my junior year and my freshman year. Sophomore year, I just thought it was interesting. 
But I really didn't start wanting to get much out of seminary until I was a senior in high school. And it really started when a Doctrine and Covenants video was shown to us about Martin Harris taking the 116-page manuscript home and showing it to his wife, Joseph Smith, had his translation privileges taken away for a season. And in the video, it talked about pleasing God as opposed to pleasing man. Now, I still wasn't completely devoted to the church at this point, but it got me thinking. And then, I would say mid-January, certainly February and March, I really wanted to get more out of seminary. And I did. I didn't read the scriptures like I was supposed to, but I definitely definitely got a lot out of the lessons. And I keep thinking, had I had something like this in seminary incorporated with the Come Follow Me manual, if we had Come Follow Me back then, it would have been really neat. Bonnie Corden also went on to discuss that during the Come Follow Me that when the Come Follow Me manual was released, there was a sense of excitement among the youth. In fact, when the youth were studying Doctrine and Covenants section 89, they were also studying in the Come Follow Me manual, John chapter 2, where the Savior turned water into wine. And so they were able to have some really interesting, good discussions over this. I, another thing came to mind when I read about this. When I was in high school, I knew one particular individual, I will not say the name, but I knew one particular individual that did not want to be there during my sophomore year. And everybody knew it. This person was pretty vocal about it. Not necessarily saying, I don't want to be here, but the actions spoke louder than words. And this person definitely said some things and indicated uh, they did not want to be here. I don't want to mention names or the identity of this person. But I kept wondering if we had something like this, would this, in, would, would this person have either, either hated it more or changed? I don't know. Hard to say. This will definitely separate the wheat from the tares for sure. I think it's great, though, that they are doing less memorization and more role-playing and more discussions. I've always thought that we needed that more in seminary, quite frankly. In fact, I remember one time in seminary, the teacher was on our case because I had what we called zero-hour seminary up in Idaho during my uh, sophomore and junior year when I was up in high school there up in Boise, Idaho. And the teacher really got on our case and asked, why are you guys coming in late? And we all gave reasons. And I said, well, this class would be better if we had more discussions about things such as, should we date non-members? Should we not? Or what kind of friends should we have? Little did I know that we were actually supposed to follow manual. But that was one of the reasons. I just got bored with the lesson. And, of course, I wasn't that devoted to the church back then either. So that didn't help matters. Of course, I didn't dare say that, or who knows what would have happened. I would have gotten a talking to by the 
Seminary teacher, my parents would have been called and all kinds of unwanted discussions would have happened between me and the seminary teacher and definitely my parents. So I didn't go there. But certainly had we had more discussion, I would have been more inclined to enjoy it. So I think this is a good move. I also think that this might bring cl families closer together because they are now discussing the Come Follow Me manual at home, church, and in seminary. So I think this is great. Let's talk about the name change. As you know, back in 2018, last year, August 16th, 2018, President Nelson came out and said, we are not supposed to call each other Mormons. And to be consistent with that, obviously, in March, on March 3rd, the name of the church changed. or not the, Well, not the name, but the website changed from LDS.org to churchofjesuschrist.org. By the way, do not go to thechurchofjesuschrist.org. I've done that before, and it doesn't work. What happens is you go to what looks like our church, but you dig deeper down into the website, it's a shoot-off from, from our church. Now if you go to lds.org, it'll just push you over to thechurchofjesuschrist.org. The newsroom is changing to newsroom.thechurchofjesuschrist.org. LDS, tool, LDS Tools of chain, has changed to Member Tools. The, media the LDS Media Library has now changed to Media Library. LDS Music is now Sacred Music. LDS Singalong is now Singalong Hymns. Gospel Library will maintain its name, Gospel Library. By the way, sing-along hymns, just so you know, has the instrumental and vocal names of the hymns, but it also has a bouncing ball as the words are printed on the screen so that children will have an easier time singing and it'll probably be more fun for them. I had fun watching a bouncing ball going along the screen and singing the songs. Latter-day Saint temples are no longer supposed to be referred to Latter-day Saint temples or LDS temples. Instead, they are supposed to be referred to either temples of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or the House of the Lord. I said, when this came out, are we actually going to stick with this name change? The reason I said that is because I remember distinctively back in 2001, early 2001, I want to say it was probably in February, uh, early to mid-February of 2001, I came home from school. Uh, I was attending the Salt Lake Community College back then. I came home. Got onto the internet back when we, back when a lot of us, not everybody, but a lot of us were still using dial-up modem, especially in the area that I lived, because we didn't have DSL or cable in our area yet. It was around, but not in our area. So I dialed up on the internet. First thing I always did was checked my email. When I checked my email, 
I get a message from the church saying we're not supposed to use the word Mormons anymore. I was okay with it because it made sense. We are the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints. In fact, it was Boy K. Packard who wrote that letter. I even remember it being read in church. And he said, we can still refer to the Mormon culture. We can still use the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. But we are not supposed to use the word Mormon. Well, then, some years later, we spent a whole lot of money promoting the word Mormon. Meet the Mormons. Mormon.org, which, by the way, is now changed to comeuntochrist.org. Mormon.org. Meet the Mormons. I'm a Mormon campaign. The Mormon Channel, which is still being called the Mormon Channel, last time I checked. You can download that on uh, on your smartphone or smart tablet. In fact, I just opened it a few days ago, and it's still called the Mormon Channel. I'm sure that they'll change it at some point. So when the name, so when President Nelson came out saying that we should not use the name Mormon, it really bothered me because. We spent all this time promoting it. And we did this before, back in 2001, and we didn't stick with it, did we? So it bothered me. But we have to look beyond that, folks. We have to look beyond that. We have to look beyond the fact that, yeah, maybe we spent a whole lot of money promoting the word Mormon. Yes, we can debate whether we were good sports about it, because remember... Calling us a Mormon originally was a very derogatory term. It was like calling the black, a black person, African-American, the N-word. That's how bad it was. We just happened to turn it around. Some would argue we made lemonade out of lemons. But the fact of the matter is, we are now sticking with it. So we can no longer talk about how it bothers us with this change. We have to look beyond that. And let's be honest, during the October 2018 conference Sunday morning session, I was participating by satellite in a church in Arkansas, and I thought he made a very compelling argument. Also, I have heard that the word Mormon is very close to a swear word in China. Well, we know that President Nelson's trying to get the church in China. So it would only make sense that the name change, that he has to step his foot down on the name change. We have to look beyond whether it bothers us or not, because it's changing, and we're being consistent about it this time. Also, I'm under the impression, just by reading some of the names of these applications, like Sacred Hymns, Sing Along Hymns, or uh, Sacred Music, Sing Along Hymns, if the church is trying to become more mainstream. And I say that because of the new hymn book coming out. Maybe there'll be some more mainstream songs in there. I can think of some songs I'd like in the new hymn book. I'll give you some names. Praise Him. It's in uh, Hymns of the Great Faith. Go check it out. Hymns of the Great Faith. Do a Google search on it. Banner of the Cross, which I know will not be in there, but it, I wish it was. 
it's a great song. It's very lively. Now, these songs have to be jazzed up a little bit. I'm not saying we have to use a guitar or anything like that, but they, they are kind of lively. They're played at a faster tempo. And I know this because I've been to a... I used to attend a Sunday night Baptist service on occasion when I lived in Arkansas. Uh, just because I had some friends that were Baptists, and they would invite me on occasion. So I would go. Plus, as much as I enjoyed the training that I received at the school, I did not like the school itself. I had to get out of there as much as I could. So I took advantage of this, went to uh, our church during the day, and probably once every two weeks or once a month, I would go to the Sunday night Baptist service. And that's where I learned about these hymns that were played on a piano and a French horn. In fact, I happen to know the French horn player. Um, his wife and her husband are good friends of mine. Still talk to her husband today. To, to this day, we keep in touch on occasion. I shared him my belief, and uh, we'll see what he does with it. We'll talk about that later. Let's talk about Education Week. Elder Gary E. Stevenson gave a great talk during Education Week. I listened to it. It was very interesting how he went over the history of Education Week. Did you know that Education Week began in, two, in 1922 in January? It was meant to accommodate the farmers. So it was in January instead of in the spring. One of the classes was the boy and how to teach him. Wow, have times changed. Could you imagine Education Week having something like that today? The blogosphere would go crazy. And I'm talking specifically the LDS blogosphere. The LDS blogosphere would go crazy. Feminist Mormon housewives. Oh, could you imagine some of the podcasts? The Cultural Hall, the Mormon News Report, they'd be going crazy about this. Oh, this is sexist. Oh, the church is going backwards. Wow, time's changed. It's interesting, though, that one of the things that stuck out to me in the talk when he talked about Education Week was in the 1970s, BYU had mirrors all over the hall. Now, remember, in the 1960s was the counterculture movement, and it definitely affected the morale of the church. So in the 70s, BYU had these mirrors on the hall where you could look at yourself through the mirror, and the idea was, do you want people to see you as you are? Basically, remember who you are and where you came from. He also mentioned that in the 1940s, Education Week was discontinued for uh, several years in the 1940s because of World War II. Then he talked about how Joseph Smith went and saw the angel Moroni in Hilkamora from 1923 to 1927. Then him and Oliver Cowdery translated the plates after, he, uh, after Joseph Smith got his privilege restored to him. And that happened over the course of 85 days. Now, that was not 85 days in a row, because you may or may not know that some things happened during that time. For example, translation had to be interrupted because Peter, James, and John restored the Melchizedek priesthood. And then John the Baptist restored the Aaronic priesthood. 
But the whole translation probably took, well, with, without the interruptions, about 65 days. But over the course of 85 days during the whole entire translation. And then he talked about how the Book of Mormon is the engine of this church. That's true. It is. If you have a testimony of the Book of Mormon, you should have a testimony of this church. One of the things that stuck out to me was that he urged us to read the Book of Mormon 10 minutes every day. And I'm going to start doing that because I have a confession to make. I haven't read the Book of Mormon in a while, like I should. I've been busy reading the Come Follow Me scriptures, and I'm just starting to catch up on that. So I'm going to take him up on this challenge. It's a good idea. I've been to Education Week. It's a lot like a convention for members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Well, speaking of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, one of the things that I remembered from the name change is President Nelson said, one thing, uh, we cannot refer to temples anymore, or we should not refer to temples anymore as Latter-day Saint temples. We should refer to them as temples of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or the House of the Lord. But I've been to Education Week, and it's a lot like a convention for members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It is. You're bound to see somebody that you know there. I've never been to the whole Education Week, but I do remember my first time at Education Week. I showed up on Thursday, or no, Wednesday and Thursday back in 2010. The, last, uh, the second to the last week of August is when it is. And I had a great time. I actually ran into some people that I knew that were blind, actually. It was a great time. I took a lot of classes. I'm sure if I was there the whole entire week, I would have definitely ran into some people I've known throughout the years, whether they were from Idaho, Oregon, somewhere. Even people who lived somewhere that I went to high school with or went to college with. I, I guarantee it. It's a... Uh, it's a fun social event. I hope they don't give it up. I hope not. We'll see. Time will tell. Well, if you are a youth leader or in the primary, elders quorum presidency, Relief Society presidency, even if you're a primary teacher, youth teacher, pianist, basically anything to do with the youth and children, piano player in primary, primary chorister, you are now required to take a 30-minute training at protect at protectingchildren.churchofjesuschrist.org. I took the training, and now you might be interested, some of you might be interested in this. I am a blind person. And so I took the training with JAWS. JAWS is a screen reader that I have that reads to me what's on the computer. And it was really, it was kind of tricky, to be honest. It was a little tricky because it wasn't a JAWS issue. 
it was the fact that I kept having to hit the start button all the time when the video was uh, when the video would stop. It'd be nice if the video played continuously. Then I had to go answer these questions. And when I would put a check mark, I'd submit it. Well, when I submit something, I'm used to submitting something. And then what happens is it loads and comes up with the next page. It didn't do that. I, I didn't realize what it was doing until I arrowed down and after the check mark and a submit button, it said correct. But the training is common sense. Now, I've heard some complaints about the training that said the training's not good enough. The training's not long enough. Well, I've taken these kind of trainings before. And theoretically, if you've taken enough of these trainings at work, you could probably skip through the whole entire training and get at least an 80%. Because some of the questions are very repetitive. Even if it's a two-hour training, like Sam Young, good old Sam Young complained, Oh, I like the training, but I changed my mind after I found out it was only 30 minutes. Yeah, well, theoretically, Sam, if you haven't noticed, you could probably take the training. Let's say you have a two-hour diversity training at Verizon Wireless or General Motors or some of these other companies. Theoretically, you could skip that whole training and, and, and take the training probably pass with an 80%, maybe even higher. And I think the church is trying to protect themselves from a lawsuit. I think that's what's happening here. You know, you had Sam Young make such a stink over this. You know, Sam Young talked about how teaching, how bishops shouldn't ask real detailed questions about sexual transgressions. Now, if you want to know what I think about that, listen to the podcast I did. Listen to one of the podcasts I did back in December of 2017. You know what I think of that, or you will you will know if you haven't listened. If you have listened, maybe you ought to listen again. It's a good refresher. Also, you have McKenna Denson, who's suing the church right now because she supposedly was abused by an MTC president. So I think basically the church is trying to protect itself from a lawsuit. Do I think the church could do more? Maybe, but this is a good start. And the training is, a lot of it is common sense. Just so you know, I did get a 100% on the, on the, on the Q&A portion of the training. The answers are right there. When you answer the question, you or when the question's asked, you can go right down below and get the answer and then go ahead and answer the question. But a lot of it is just common sense. I want to talk about uh, Elder Uchtdorf's message real quick. And that is about spreading the gospel. Elder Uchtdorf over the last year has had plenty of opportunity to spread the gospel. As you know, he was uh, in the first presidency and then, for lack of a better word, demoted. And now he's been around the world. I, I believe he's probably spending a lot of his time in Europe. 
And even President Nelson said we have to be quick to reference the gospel when we're talking to non-members or those that are inactive. So Elder Uchtdorf gave five ways that we can spread the gospel because not all of us are comfortable just talking about it right away. So here are five ways that you can effectively spread the gospel or at least talk about it with a non-member friend of yours. I'm just going to go over these as quick as I can. Draw closer to God. Ask yourself, do I really believe in Heavenly Father? Do I do I trust him? The closer we draw to Heavenly Father, the more his light will the uh, the more his light and joy will be within us. I'm paraphrasing right now. And then people will notice that there is something different about us. They will ask about us. They will ask questions like, why are you so different? We can use that opportunity to explain why we are so different. By the way, I have something to say about that as soon as I'm done reading these five steps and going through the explanation. Step number two. Fill your fill with fill your heart with love. Now again, I'm paraphrasing here. Fill your heart with love. This is the second greatest commandment: to love thy neighbor as thyself. Love those around you. Laugh, rejoice, and help them through troubled times. Number three: strive to walk in the path of discipleship. As your love for God deepens, so does your love for commitment. So does your love for commitment to following Jesus Christ. We take two if we take two steps forward and one step back, that's okay as long as we don't give up. And trust me, I know from experience people will notice this. You will eventually become better. You will eventually become better, happier, and more authentic as you strive to become a disciple of Jesus Christ, even if you take one step forward or two steps forward and one step back. Kind of reminds me of that song by Paul Abdul, Opposites Attract, Two Steps Forward, Two Steps Back. Anyway, talking to others about your faith should strengthen your testimony. I added that part. Share what is in your heart. Um, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have the privilege of sharing what is in our heart and our love and uh, what is in our uh, sharing. Okay, let me read that again. As followers of Jesus Christ, we have the privilege to share the love with of our Heavenly Father's children that he has for us. Share why the gospel of Jesus Christ is important to you. Invite them to see and help in the church. And last but not least, trust the Lord to work miracles. Understand, it is not your job to convert. Oh, I like that. Understand, it is not your job to convert people. I like that. We'll come back to that. Let me carry on here real quick. 
that is the role of our heavenly that is the role of the holy ghost your role is to share what is in your heart and to and to consistent oh and to be consistent with your beliefs don't be offended if someone doesn't accept the gospel message it is not a personal failure that is between you and your heavenly father love is um love is to uh, your job is to love god and his neighbors and your neighbors i really like that let me tell you a story back in 2006 i was trying to get a girl to date me who is not a member of our church by the way, we are still good friends with each other. When I told one of my sisters about her, the first question was, can you convert her? I was not surprised by the question. In fact, to be perfectly honest, the question was in the back of my mind as well. In fact, even though I wasn't the most active member of the church back then, I still had a little bit of a testimony and think and thought it would be a really cool thing if she converted now a, a follow-up to that uh some a few months later my sister said oh you better get on your high horse and tell her about the church and i thought no that's getting a little too overboard and i learned really quickly a she wasn't interested in the church b it would be the spirit that would have to convert her. Elder Uchtdorf is absolutely right. Our job is not to convert. Our job is to be an example. In fact, I've told people ever since my senior year of high school, the very best thing you can do as is a member of the as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints is to be an example to people. We don't run around with megaphones urging people to convert. We're not street preachers. So why should we be trying to force somebody to convert? When I was in Arkansas, I invited people to church, and they always said no, mainly because I think the church was three hours. This is before two-hour church. I was in Arkansas right as that was ending. But I also know that people today in Arkansas, I know this for a fact because I just got off the phone. Well, I was uh, talking to someone on the phone, let's see, last night, no, uh, two nights ago, about our experience in Arkansas. And the thing that always kept coming up was I have convictions and I live by those convictions. That was a thing that kept coming up in the conversations about me behind my back, which is a good thing. Do I expect those people to convert right away? No, and I say that because I know them personally. Do I expect them to convert in this life? No. But at least they will say, oh, I met a member of the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints, and guess what? He was very ardent about his convictions, which is true. Maybe someday... They'll look at my example and want to know more. Maybe. Am I counting on it? No. 
but I also know the Spirit can get into their heart and mind. And that's the absolute best way. I'm so glad Elder Uchtdorf said, it is not your job to convert, because I think even I've gotten into this, and even for a while I was trying to convert my friend, who is still a friend of mine today. In fact, uh, she's coming out around Christmas time this year. But I can tell, even though she has not converted, that I have definitely set an example for her. I can tell just in the conversation. She uh, was running around some what I thought pretty questionable people, and she doesn't do that anymore. I'd like to think that I had an influence on it. But more importantly, maybe through my example, the Spirit did. So I really like these uh, five steps of sharing the gospel. A lot of insight there. I'd encourage you to go read it at the Church of Jesus or at churchofjesuschrist.org. I want to talk about one last thing, the word of wisdom. Oh, do I have opinions about this? As you know, the Church in the New Era came out with an article stating what the word of wisdom is, what we are and uh, what we are not supposed to drink. To be honest, it was an article of what not to do. Let me just go over some of the highlights of the article. I'm not going to read the whole article. I'm not going to read the article. I'll just go over some highlights. The article mentioned stay away from black and green tea. In fact, they even went further to say that green tea is black tea with the exception of the fact that green tea is not fermented and black tea is. They also talked about coffee. They also talked about uh any, uh, they also talked about espresso. Espresso is coffee. They also mentioned any word that ends with the uh, C-A-F-A. Uh, and then there was an acute. I didn't know how to pronounce that. I tried to get someone to help me pronounce that, and that person didn't know either. Just know, if you read the New Era, go on the website. It's spelled C-A-F-A, acute. It also talked about latte or anything ending with C-C-I-N-O, which, again, I don't know how to spell that either. Uh, or coffee is against the word of wisdom. They also suggested that they also talked about vaping being against the word of wisdom. Evidently, according to this article, uh, two-thirds of teenagers did not know that vaping had nicotine. I have no idea how you would not know that because it's all over the place. Sean Hannity, a talk show host that I like to listen to, he promotes a, uh, uh, an electronic cigarette, a vapor, and he warns you that it has nicotine in it. Now, I'm not going to judge Sean Hannity. That's his choice. I'm just saying it's all over the adver all over advertisements. I don't know how you could not know. I can understand how you might not know uh, back in 2010 when I first heard of vaping, but I don't know how you wouldn't know that now. But yes, I'm, I'm glad that they mentioned vaping. It's sad that they had to clear that up, but at least they mentioned it. They also talked about marijuana being against the word of wisdom, even though it is legal in some places and people use it for medicinal purposes. Although they did clarify and say that... Uh, we are not supposed to use it for medicinal purposes unless it is under a doctor's supervision. That's fair. I can go with that. Here is uh, the issue that I have with this article. First of all, 
I'm glad that they clarified some things because even I was questioning the green tea, although admittingly I have not drinking green tea probably since about 2016. So, uh, and I, I, I remember in college hearing different things. Yeah, green tea is against the word of wisdom. No, it's not. Yeah, it is. Oh, even some bishops recommended that I drink green tea. So it was always a great area for me. By the way, if you like green tea, I would suggest that you drink mate because mate tastes exactly like green tea, which is another thing I want to get into. What about herbal tea? I didn't read anything about herbal tea. A lot of members drink herbal tea. I like herbal tea. Why don't we talk about that? What about mate? Mate is a very controversial drink for members, especially missionaries down in South America. And the reason it's so controversial is because when people drink mate, it's a social thing. And so if you're a missionary in Argentina, you might end up in missionary lingo camping out at someone's house, meaning staying there for two or three hours just socializing when you should be out doing the work of the Lord. So that's one reason why it's controversial. Mission presidents in the past even have told missionaries, do not drink mate, it's a bad habit. And I know that certain times, depending on the mission that you're in down there in Argentina, and depending on who the mission president is, it is against mission rules, and I understand why. I don't think there's anything wrong with missionaries drinking it amongst themselves, but I do understand where the mission president is coming from, or the presidents are coming from. My sister served a mission down in Argentina, and she could tell you all about it. She bought home some mate. It was actually really good, uh, as long as you had sugar in it. It was nasty without sugar. What about that? And here's another thing that bothers me about this article. In the article, it said, either if you basically, if you go to a coffee shop, either don't order from a coffee shop or don't go, or if you are ordering from a coffee shop, then ask if it has coffee. I do, I do like that last line. But I don't think that we ought to be discouraging our youth or young adults or whoever from going to coffee shops. And here's why. Let's face it, outside of the Intermountain West, and even in some places in the Intermountain West, but even more so outside of the Intermountain West, there's not very many of us around. And when I say there's not very many of us, I'm talking about members of the church. So it's bound to happen that let's say you're in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and you're a member of the church going to high school there. What are you going to do? Put yourself on the shelf and say, oh, I, I can't go out with you because you're not a member. I can't be friends with you. Oh, I can't go on a date with you because you're not a non-member. I hope not. I don't agree with that mentality at all. I know some people, some parents really enforce that rule. I don't believe that at all. I think you should associate with non-members and go on group dates as a youth with non-members if you can. Uh, because that does that is very good missionary work. As long as you're keeping the standards, dating in groups, and all the things that you're advised to do as a youth. And if you do that, guess what? You're going to have non-member friends that drink coffee. I would like to see articles on how to handle those situations. What if you are at a party and there's drinking and you have to explain, I don't drink. Uh, 
Or what if you're invited to a drinking party and you don't want to go because you're not a drinker? How do you explain that to your non-member friends? Where do you draw the line? Is it okay to go to a drinking party and not drink? These are questions I'd like to see bought up in uh, church articles. These are the discussions I wish we would have more of because I have my opinions on that too. My, uh, I don't want to get off on a tangent, but I would like to, you know, I wish the church, I wish the new era, the church would have come out and said, if, um, I wish the church would have just said, if you go to a coffee shop, it's perfectly okay to ask if this drink has coffee. Not even putting in either don't order from coffee shops. Just put in. It's okay to ask if this drink has coffee. They're not going to mock you behind the counter. They can't. It's bad customer service. I've been in customer service. They're not going to mock you for asking that question. Trust me. I've been in areas where there are plenty of non-members inside coffee shops ordering something like hot chocolate, caramel apple cider, or other things that do not have coffee in them, or black or green tea. It's perfectly okay to ask those questions. And by the way, if you have a friend that's mocking you because you're not a coffee drinker, you don't drink alcohol, you know what? They're not worth being your friend anyway, so don't worry about it. You know, if they're going to call you, well, at least, okay, let's say you're here in the Intermountain West and you go to a drinking party and there's members there and they call you a Molly Mormon, Peter Priesthood, whatever the words that are used, the words that youth of the church use these days, get out. They're not worth being your friends anyway. Get out. Don't go. Get out. So that's uh, that's my take, and I, I wish that there were more articles discussing this issue. You know, it bothers me, too. I was listening to a podcast, and I've heard things like this similarly in my life. It bothers me that I heard a story recently on a podcast where somebody was at another person's house, I think for a church assignment or something, and one of the sons of these parents was going to a birthday party of a non-member. And the mother said, you know, if there's swearing or drinking going on, you can call home and we'll come and get you. That bothered me a little bit because, first of all, we don't know if there's drinking at this party or not. Second of all, and I know we shouldn't swear, but at the same time, why don't we have that attitude about movies? I'll bet you the mother who said this probably watched plenty of movies with swear words and did not walk out of the theater. I can guarantee you. I guarantee it. Um, now, if the people were talking like a drunken sailor at the party, yeah, I'd, I'd probably leave, most likely. But if it was just a swear word or two, I'd stick around like I haven't heard it before. But what bothered me is the mother was just assuming that because these people were not members, they were going to drink. Maybe, maybe not. Or maybe the guy, you know, I'm sure this person was 16, 17, 18 Big boy, he could stick up for himself and decide, do I want to be here or not? Am I going to set an example? Uh, 
You know, Steve Young talked about when he went to parties, uh, drinking parties in high school, people would make sure that he had milk. Now, for the record, I don't go to drinking parties. I don't like them. I've been to some. I don't like them. Now, I might go, okay, if I'm... I, I've been back east a few times. In fact, I used to go back east every summer for a while. And yes, I have a, a friend who's a non-member, and her family does drink. It's a social thing. They don't get drunk, and they're not out-of-control drunks. Sorry, that's my phone going off. They're not out-of-control drunks. They drink socially. And guess what? I was at a gathering. We went to a concert at this park, and my friend's mother asked, do you want a beer? Innocent question. I was not offended because that's what they do back at East. They are not members. That's what they do. It's their culture. I politely said, no thanks. I don't drink. And then my friend said it's against his religion. And that was that. No big deal. They, they drank beer in front of me. No big deal. That's what I would like to see more conversations about. Uh, by the way, I'm not suggesting the youth go to drinking parties. I'm just saying, when you're in an area where there's not very many members, or you might be the only member at your high school, things are going to be quite different than here in the Intermountain West. I guarantee it. Even in places in the Intermountain West where members are a minority, things are going to be a little bit different. That's just the way it is. And here's another issue that I have with this article. We talk so much about alcohol, marijuana, illegal drugs, vaping, as we should. What about other things, though? What about sugar? What about the person who's addicted to Diet Coke? I, I've heard so many times from people, oh, I have to have my Diet Coke today. I have to have it. I can't function without it. Wasn't that an addiction? Isn't that just as bad as alcohol in a way? You may not be getting drunk, but isn't an addiction the same thing as far as letting something overpower you? Why doesn't the church talk more about things like that? Why don't we address sugar? Let me tell you a story. There was an event, there was a person at uh, City Creek, and I know this story because I heard about it on a podcast. There was a, I guess it was when City Creek was uh, being ready or uh, just ending construction. There was a guy who was a liaison between the property company that was building City Creek and the church, and he was told about the word of wisdom. Well, they were having a party that day, one day, I think it was just as uh, the construction was ending. He went to the party and he noticed that they had pastries for breakfast. Then at lunchtime, they had, this was catered by the Lion House. They had meatloaf, potatoes, rolls, and cake. And this guy who was a li liaison, who is not a member, said, Don't you have a health code? And he relayed this to the podcaster that I was listening to. He said everybody looked really tired after they ate. Let's talk about that if we're going to talk about the word of wisdom. What about eating meat sparingly? Let's talk about this. 
I wish we got into more discussion about this. Again, I'm glad that some of the things were clarified in this article. But I wish certain things were talked about more, and I wish the thing about coffee shops was written just a little bit differently. By the way, for the record, I'm not a coffee drinker. I am very observant of the word of wisdom. But you have to understand something about me. I am a realist with a capital R. I am absolutely a realist. I have uh, a little bit, of, I, I guess you could say I am a little bit of an idealist, but I am definitely a realist. Anyone that knows me knows that I am a realist. And I know that if you live in an area such as Buffalo, New York, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, maybe even Billings, Montana, although Billings, Montana has more members, you're bound to have some non-member friends there. Things are done differently over there as opposed to Salt Lake, Idaho, parts of Arizona, parts of Nevada. Things are done differently elsewhere and these issues are going to come up unless you want to be a hermit. I don't want to be a hermit. These issues come up quite a bit when I'm not in the Intermountain West. Why can't you have coffee? I explain. I've been out uh, to dinner with people in Arkansas and in Louisiana when I lived there. They were drinking. No big deal. I just explained. I don't drink. You know, very rarely, but it's happened. I've been to uh, a bar and I just ordered a virgin daiquiri or I ordered ice water. No big deal. Now, I wouldn't recommend going to bars every weekend being a Latter-day Saint. But, you know, on occasion, you might have a friend. You might be going back east or somewhere. You're the only member. You have a business meeting and it's at a bar. It's okay to get a virgin daiquiri. It's okay to get ice water. It's okay to get soda pop. But let's talk about soda pop. What about Coke? I know the First Presidency said that uh, it's okay to drink Coke. What about it? These are, you know, Coke has caffeine. Diet Coke is certainly addictive. Why, don't, why aren't we talking more about that? I would like to see more of those discussions take place in articles and uh, in the church publications in general conference. I'd like to see more of these conversations. What about herbal tea? That's more. Uh, that's what I'd like to see more of. I will talk to you later, folks. Hopefully, uh, I, I think Stan Ellsworth is going to come on. I talked to him a little bit today. Uh, I, I actually had to pause this podcast and go meet with him. I think he is going to come on. So I will talk to you later, folks.